Let's pray. Father, I do pray that uh, the last line of that last song would truly be our heart's desire, that every one of our days would count for your glory, Lord, that we would not live to bring ourselves glory or to further our own agendas, Lord, or to fill our own um, egos or stomachs or, or pleasures, Lord, but may we live to bring you glory. May that be our highest joy, to want to know you more and, and to make you known and to exalt your name and to see other people come and worship you, be made true worshipers of yours who worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that through your word, uh, you would make that more of our heart. May you prune us of our, our sin, Lord. Um, we still have so much sin to repent of and be sanctified from, Lord. We still have so far to go in uh, becoming more and more like our Savior, our Lord Jesus. And we desire, Lord, to be made more like him even this morning. And we pray that your spirit, working through your word, would accomplish that in each of us, we pray. And those who may be here who don't know you yet, Lord, may you make them alive even this morning through the preaching of your word and the proclamation of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today, and we're looking at verses 17 through 24. And I'll read that for us, starting in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 7. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. We're all familiar with the modern proverb, the grass is always greener on the other side. We always think someone else's situation is better than our own. And even if we're able to get ourselves in that better situation, we find ourselves wishing we had not left our previous situation. And so we sit in our discontentment as the years and the decades pass by until we find ourselves sitting around a table with a bunch of other crusty curmudgeons reminiscing about the good old days, forgetting that we didn't think those old days were all that good when we were living through them. Nowhere does this sinful discontentment show up more often in our lives than in our marital state of being. If we're single, we wish we were married. And when we get married all too often, we wish we were single or married to someone else. For the unbeliever, that is to be expected. But for the believer, 
Such an attitude is a complete contradiction to what the believer professes to believe. Paul, as we've been going through chapter 7, has been giving instructions to various groups of people within the Corinthian church. He's been addressing those in the church who are unmarried. He's been addressing those who are married to a believer. And he's been addressing those who are married to an unbeliever. And the instructions he's been giving have been based on an overarching principle. And this principle is what we will find in verses 17 through 24. And that principle is this. Remain in your current station in life. Remain as you are. Paul gives us this principle in verse 17. And then in verses 18 through 20, he gives us the principle again by way of illustration. And then when we get to verses 21 through 24, he gives us the principle a third time by way of another illustration. And this morning, as we follow Paul along, as he walks us through this threefold giving of this principle, we will find three reasons for why we should not seek to alter our marital status on our own initiative. And these will be three reasons why we should be content with the marital status we are currently in. So, what's the first reason? The first reason we find in verse 17, and it's this. Don't change your marital status. Why? Because God is sovereign. That's the first reason we shouldn't change, seek to change our marital status. That's the first reason we should be content in our marital status, because God is sovereign. Look at verse 17. Paul begins laying down this general principle of remain as you are by saying this, only as the Lord has assigned to each one. As the Lord has assigned to each one. What does he mean by that? Well, we've got to look at the context of this passage to know what Paul is talking about. What does he mean when he says the Lord has assigned to each one? Well, in verses 1 through 16, Paul has been giving commands to these believers, and you'll notice these commands that he's been giving right along have been tailor-made to the various marital situations that these believers are in. He's been telling the unmarried to do one thing under certain circumstances, and he's been telling the married to do another thing under other circumstances. And it can be hard to keep it all straight when you read through that. At first, it can seem like there's not really any rhyme or reason to these commands that Paul is laying down. It's like he's spinning a roulette wheel and whatever numbered slot the ball falls in, he says, this is your situation, this is what you need to do. It can seem like that. So Paul needs to tie these loose strands together. He needs to make it all make sense for these believers so they can understand why Paul is giving them certain instructions in certain situations. And the first thing that Paul does to bring all of this together for them is to point them to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He does that by speaking of their marital status as their own personal assignment or allotment or distribution from Jesus Christ. Just as God allotted 
portions of the Holy Land to the 12 tribes, just as the Holy Spirit has distributed different gifts to different believers, so the Lord Jesus Christ has assigned different marital statuses to different believers. Now, as we go through this chapter, we'll see that that assigned status does not always remain the same for you. We can tell that from the number of exceptions Paul gives as we go through the letter. Sometimes, or through the chapter rather, sometimes the Lord sees fit to change your assignment as you go through life. But your current, your current marital status is your current assignment from the Lord. These believers, as they considered what marital status they were in, Paul is showing them that is your assignment from the Lord. That's the first thing Paul is showing them to bring all of this together, what he's said so far. He says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, and then he gives another phrase here, he says, as God has called each, as God has called each. Let's look at that phrase, and then we'll kind of tie this sentence together. What does Paul mean when he says, as God has called each? When Paul talks about God's calling of the believer, he's speaking of God's calling you unto salvation. And by adding the little word as to that phrase, Paul is directing these believers' attention to the circumstances of life they were in when God called them to salvation. And Paul's already done this sort of thing. If you turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see Paul calling them to consider a similar sort of thing. He says there in chapter 126, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. There he was reminding them that in most of their cases, they were not among the social elites when God saved them. But here in chapter 7, Paul is calling on them to consider not their position in society, but now he's calling them to consider what their marital status was when God saved them. And that's important for them to consider this It's important for Paul to walk through this with them because these believers are very confused as to what they should do about their marriages after they got saved. For example, verses 1 through 7, Paul seemed to be addressing believers who were wondering if they should be continuing normal marital relations with their spouses. And in verses 8 through 9, it appears some were wondering if they should remain unmarried or if they should get married. And then verses 10 through 11, it appears that some were wondering if it was okay to get a divorce from their believing spouse. And then in verses 12 through 16, some were wondering if it was permissible to get a divorce from an unbelieving spouse. So to cut through all of this confusion, Paul says what he says here in verse 17, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each In this manner, let him walk. So to to cut through all that confusion, Paul is telling them, listen, whatever your marital status was when you came to Christ, as far as it depends on you, 
Just remain in that status because that is the assignment you have received from the Lord for now. Just remain as you are. In other words, God is sovereign over the circumstances of your life, including when you were saved. And that sovereignty encompasses whether you're married or not. So rest in his sovereign decision for your life. He's the one in control, not you. So he says, in this manner, let him walk. That is, whatever your marital status, follow Christ within that marital status until God himself sovereignly changes that status because that is the Lord's assignment for you. Paul ends verse 17 by saying, and so I direct in all the churches. This is a principle for every church in every age. Remain as you are because God is sovereign. That brings us to the second reason. And it's this, don't change your marital status because it won't make you holier. It won't make you holier. How do I arrive at that kind of title for these kinds of verses that we're about to read in verses 18 to 20? Well, here, Paul is going to restate this principle, but he's going to do it by way of an illustration. And he's actually, throughout the rest of this passage, going to give them two illustrations. The first is a religious or ethnic illustration, that of circumcision. And the second illustration is a social illustration, that of slavery. So let's look at the first illustration, the religious or ethnic illustration that Paul gives. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision, he is not to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was a religious rite for who? For Jews. And uncircumcision typically characterized who? Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. Paul is saying, if you were saved as a circumcised Jew, do not seek to get rid of your Jewishness in order to become a Gentile. And if you were saved as an uncircumcised Gentile, don't seek to become a Jew by getting circumcised. Why not? Verse 19, he explains, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. He's saying your ethnicity, your Jewishness, or your Gentileness does not amount to a hill of beans when it comes to your spiritual standing before God. It doesn't affect your standing before the Lord, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew. Now, why is Paul bringing this up? What in the world does this have to do with being married or being single? Well, remember, Paul's illustrating something. And remember the main problem that the Corinthians were having. Chapter 1 Told us that they were quarreling with one another. Each believer was trying to elevate him or herself above another believer by aligning him or herself with a certain teacher, saying, I'm of Paul. And another saying, oh yeah, well, I'm of Apollos. Well, yeah, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ, so I'm better than all of you. 
That's what they were saying to one another. Their problem was pride. And you'll see as we go throughout this letter, Paul repeatedly rebukes them for their arrogance. And so it stands to reason that at least some of the Corinthians' confusion about marriage and singleness is directly related to their pride, their desire to elevate their spiritual status in comparison with others. They may have begun thinking that being celibate was more holy, and so they began to withdraw from their spouses. Paul addressed that in verses 1 through 7. Others of them, those who were single already, they may have thought the same thing, and so they were elevating the status of being single above that of being married. And so they were refusing to be married when probably in their cases it was better that they get married. So Paul had to say, hey, if you're struggling, get married. And it probably factored in to these marriages when they were wanting to divorce. It may have been because they wanted to get to that higher echelon of spirituality by becoming celibate. And Paul had to say, no, no, don't do that. If that's the case, then circumcision is a perfect illustration for Paul to use, because we know that circumcision would become a sticking point for many Gentile churches, or at least some. They would think that to get to a higher spiritual level, that of being justified, they would have to become what? Circumcised. Paul had to address that with the Galatian believers. And this truth that we see in verse 19, circumcision is nothing uncircumcision is nothing. Paul had to state that truth to the Galatian believers. If you would, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. And look at verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And then look over to chapter 6 and verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. There Paul says, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For the Galatians, the issue was they thought they needed to be circumcised in order to become justified before God. Now, that's not quite the issue with the Corinthians, but it is a similar issue. And with them, the issue is not circumcision. The issue is marriage or celibacy. And so Paul is using circumcision as an illustration to show them that, no, your marital status does not elevate or, or denigrate your status before God in any way. By telling the Corinthians that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, he's illustrating for them the fact that celibacy is nothing and marriage is nothing as it relates to one's spiritual standing before God. That's not to say that being single or being married has zero significance. No, that's not the case. We see in scriptures there is significance with those statuses, but when it comes to your standing before the Lord, it has zero significance. It doesn't affect it at all. 
being single or married, does not, in and of itself, make you any more or less holy. Being single or married does not make you superior or inferior to anyone else. Instead, Paul says, back in verse 19, what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Now again, the Corinthians' problem wasn't, I have to do this work to get justified. Their problem was, let me do this thing so that I can be better than my brother or sister in Christ. That was their issue. And they thought, achieving a certain marital status, that of being celibate, that would vault them ahead of one another. But Paul says that's mistaken. The way you can tell if, that you're a spiritual Christian, the way that you can tell that you're a mature Christian, the way that you can tell that you are walking according to God's wisdom is not by whether you're married or not, it's are you obeying God in your singleness or are you obeying God in your marriage? That's how you can tell if you're mature, if you're walking according to God's wisdom or not. Being married or unmarried makes no difference, just as being circumcised or uncircumcised makes no difference to your spiritual maturity. Therefore, Paul says what he says in verse 20, where he restates this principle, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. In other words, if you're married, maintain your normal relations in that marriage. If you are single and celibate, stay that way, unless God has not gifted you with the ability to live that way. And if that is your case, then remaining in the condition in which you were called would mean getting married, because clearly God has called you to a married life instead. If you're married to a believer, stay married to that believer. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married to that unbeliever as long as that unbeliever is willing to stay married to you. God saved you when he did, saved you in the marital circumstances in which he did for a reason. Don't think that you need to change your marital status in order to follow after Jesus better. That's not true. Your marital status is no hindrance to your following after Jesus Christ. So don't seek to change just because of that. So that's the second reason. Changing your marital status doesn't make you holier. That brings us to the third reason. We'll see that in verses 21 to 24. Don't change your marital status because it won't make you freer. It won't make you freer. Paul brings us to his second illustration. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Paul asks, Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. Now that's quite a statement. Listen to what commentator David Garland said about that statement in regards to Paul saying, don't worry about it. He said, quote, but there were plenty of things to worry about. Slaves were not legally persons, and consequently they had no legal or human rights and were classified as things and tallied as living pieces of property, unquote. In other words, slave owners could do pretty much whatever they wanted to their slaves. 
But Paul says, do not worry about it. How can he say that? What planet is Paul living on? That that would be something I wouldn't have to worry about. We'll hang on to that question because we'll answer it in a moment. But first, we need to look at the rest of verse 21. It says, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. Here we see again that Paul is not teaching that we are to remain in our station of life at all costs. He's not saying that, you know, you have to stay at a certain job at all costs, or you have to live in the same house at all costs, or you have to stay single at all costs, or, to, or have to stay married to an unbeliever at all costs, even when that unbeliever doesn't want to be married anymore. That's not the point Paul is making in this passage or in this chapter. Rather, he wants these believers to see that one's station in life has no bearing on one's status before God. That's the point he's making. So when Paul says, but if you can become free, do that, he's not contradicting himself. He's not contradicting the principle, remain as you are, that he's been laying down. Paul can say that without contradicting himself because he's not advocating remaining in your current station in life for its own sake. He's not saying stay the same for the sake of staying the same. That's not his point. Instead, the point Paul is making is that you are not to think that changing your station in life will make you more holy or make you superior or make you any freer. That's his point. And using the illustration of a slave is a perfect illustration for Paul to use in order to make that point, that it doesn't make you any freer to change your marital station in life. Slaves were on the bottom rung of Greco-Roman society. They were not even considered to be people by their society. They were considered property. And we can hardly conceive of anything worse to happen to us than to be a slave, especially living here in the land of the free. Now, to be clear, being a slave in the ancient Greco-Roman world was a mixed bag. It wasn't all bad all the time. If you had a good master, life as a slave for that culture at that time could be fairly decent and bring you security, a roof over your head, steady meals, a measure of dignity if you demonstrated skill and you had a prominent owner. Slaves were often paid under that society, and they were able to use their pay to save up to buy their freedom down the road. But if you had a bad master, it could be a very bad experience, and there was nothing that you could do about it. So overall, it still seems quite undesirable to us today. And that brings us back to our troubling question. How can Paul say not to worry if you happen to be saved as a slave? How can he say that? Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. That is a very radical point that Paul is making. See, Paul is not saying don't worry about it in a cavalier way. 
as if dismissing the difficulties and the pain that would come with that. He's not telling slaves with bad owners, you know, slavery isn't really that bad, just suck it up. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not clueless about the struggles of slaves in that society. Instead, Paul is telling these believers that even if they were saved as a slave and slavery was their lot in life, they need not worry because when it came to their standing before God in Christ, they were free. They were free. The freedom that a slave enjoyed in Christ was so profound. It was so extraordinary. It was so monumental and transcendent that that freedom that they had in Christ was absolutely untouched by the slavery they were enduring on the earth. The freedom they had in Christ was so real and so eternal that the slavery they were experiencing in this world, whether they had a good master or not, was not even something to worry about in comparison. Charles Hodge, in commenting on this verse, said, quote, A man need care little about his external condition in this world. Who is freed from the bondage of Satan, the curse of the law, the dominion of sin, and who is made a child and heir of God, that is, who is conformed to the image of his son and made a partaker of his exaltation and kingdom, unquote. Is that not what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 18, where he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying that if you're a slave, the freedom you have in Christ so far outstrips the difficulty you are having as a slave that it's not even worthy to be compared. It's not even worth spending energy worrying about in comparison to what you have in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with marriage? Well, take that truth and apply it to marriage in our day. All too often, we want to get out of a marriage because of its difficulties. Now, I want to be clear. What I'm talking about right now is marriages where the problems do not constitute grounds for divorce. If, on the other hand, your spouse is committing adultery, that's another issue. Or if your spouse is abusing you, then you need to call the authorities and you need to let us, your church leaders, know so that we can provide you a place to shelter in and discipline that person. That's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about marriages where the problems do not constitute grounds for divorce. I'm talking about marriages where it would be sinful for you to seek for divorce. Marriages where you feel trapped simply because it's not turning out to be all that you hoped it would be. That this is not the life you envisioned for yourself. Your wife or your husband is not the angel or the damsel or the knight in shining armor that you hoped he or she would be. And because of that, you want out. You don't have grounds for divorce, but you don't care. It doesn't matter to you. You just want to call it quits. To you, Paul would say this. Are you in a troubled marriage? 
Don't worry about it. For the person who was called in the Lord while in such a marriage is the Lord's freed man or freed woman. If you are putting your hope in your spouse, you are putting your hope in the wrong person. You need to put your hope in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, then it does not matter how bad the circumstances are in which you find yourself. You are free with a freedom that cannot be touched by your present conditions. You have been freed, freed from slavery to your sin, freed from the grasp of Satan, freed from the fires of hell, freed from the curse of the law, and you've been made a co-heir with Jesus Christ, and you're being conformed into his image, and you've been made a partaker of his kingdom, and you've been forgiven all of your sins, you've been granted eternal life, and you will spend eternity with the one at whose right hands are, are pleasures forevermore. Because you are free in Christ, you can still be the husband or the wife that God wants you to be, even if your spouse is not the man or the woman you wish they were. Paul finishes verse 22 by saying this, Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Paul's putting everybody on the same level. In Christ, we, were, we are all on the same level. Another verse from Galatians, you don't have to turn there, but Galatians 3, verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if Paul was writing that verse to the Corinthians, he might have also added this, there is neither unmarried or married. You're all on the same level. Whether you're a free man or a slave, you stand on the same level before the cross of Christ because Christ saves both the free man and the slave by his grace alone. Through this slave illustration, Paul is telling the Corinthians and he's telling you and me that changing your station in life does not earn you brownie points in the kingdom of heaven, and it does not make you any more or any less free. You cannot be freer than you already are in the Lord Jesus. And that's true whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're a plumber or a pastor, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, you are every bit as free in Christ and you are every bit as much of a slave of Christ as anybody else. It makes no difference. Then in verse 23, Paul says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He reminds them there that Jesus bought them off of the slave market of sin by his own precious blood. Which means what? It means Jesus is their ultimate owner, their master. Their ultimate allegiance is to Jesus alone. And because of that, they must take great care not to become slaves 
of men. Some take that figuratively, some take that literally, don't become slaves of men. But I think if we were to apply that to many people's desire to change their marital status for invalid reasons, if you want to get out of your marital status, whether your status is unmarried or married to a believer or married to an unbeliever, and your reason for wanting to change your status has nothing at all to do with Jesus Christ, who gave you that assignment in the first place, then you need to understand you have become a slave of men. You've become a slave of men. It may be that you've been listening to worldly wisdom that's telling you that unless you're single, you can't be happy. Or unless you get married, you cannot be fulfilled. Those are man's ideas. And if it's on that basis that you're wanting to change your status, you've enslaved yourself to empty philosophies of men rather than Jesus Christ who gave you that assignment himself. If you're a Christian, your allegiance is to Jesus alone, period. He is your master, and you must follow him wherever he has placed you until he himself, through his word, reveals to you that he has a different assignment for you. Which brings us to the third restating of that principle in verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. What more is there to say? We've, we've kind of beat that principle to death, but there is something more to say. Notice that phrase in the middle of that verse, that two-word phrase, Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. With God. Singleness can be a lonely place. And marriage, if it's a troubled marriage, can be just as lonely of a place. But notice that phrase, with God. Each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. I remember when I was single, I often lamented to the Lord how hard it was for me to be single, how lonely I felt, how I didn't know how I could bear to stay single. And the Lord reminded me that he was walking with me in my singleness, that that was the lot in life that he had given me for that point in time. And he reminded me that he was enough for me. He was enough for me. And it can be just the same in marriage, especially a troubled marriage. You may cry out, Lord, I don't think I can do this anymore. God is reminding you through this verse that he is with you there in that troubled marriage. And so Paul says in verse 24, remain with him, abide with him in the position he has placed you in. You are free in him. He is enough for you, whether you're unmarried or married, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. If you don't know Jesus Christ, there is nothing in this whole world that will make you content. But if you do know him, 
There is nothing in this whole world that can steal away your contentment if you are seeking that contentment in him. So turn away from your idols. Turn away from those lesser things that you keep looking to to find contentment in. They are broken pots that you keep expecting to hold water, but they never quench your thirst. Stop looking for a change in your station in life to bring you satisfaction. Stop putting your hope in your spouse or in singleness. Repent of that idolatry. Your spouse did not live a righteous life for you. Your spouse did not die on the cross for your sins for you. Your spouse did not rise from the dead to bring new life to you. Jesus did that. Only Jesus. Look to him. Let me close by reading John chapter 4. I already read that, but let me read one section out of there again. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Now notice this. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Jesus is speaking to a woman who had changed husbands five times, looking for someone to fill her up. And Jesus was telling this woman, only I can fill you up. So only Christ can be our all in all. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then whatever situation you are in, single, married to a believer, married to an unbeliever, you can be content in that situation. And if you think you can't, you're believing a lie that the devil and the world and your own flesh is feeding to you. Stop believing that and believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.